Want to help out the show? Leave us a review and let us know what you think of our show. It helps new people discover us, and the feedback helps us make better shows for you. You can also reach out to us on Twitter at finding underscore podcast with your questions, comments, or ideas to make our show better. My name is Brandon Stewart, and this is Finding Help. Let's go get some answers. Hi, Robin. Hi, how are you? I'm good, I'm good. Sorry about the time mix-up. This is Robin Markson. She's from New Jersey, and despite a time zone confusion and a late interview, she was willing to tell me a little bit about her story. She started a GoFundMe campaign to raise money for her friend with cancer, Vanessa. Yeah, so um, when you set the fundraiser up, I did it. Um, I set a goal of $70,000, because at the time, we set it up about nine or ten days ago. And in speaking with Vanessa, kind of getting a feel for what her, you know, her expenses and some of the bills that she had had thus far, um, they were about $60,000 in debt. Um, she had a stack of bills that she hadn't opened and a lot of other stuff coming in. And um, so, you know, I kind of set the goal for 70000 and it has been up for 10 days, and we are about 50% to the goal. That's right. $60,000 of bill after bill. And Vanessa is one of the 294 million people that have health insurance. So why didn't insurance help out with that big bill? Originally, you were allowed to use hospitals out of state. And then a couple months ago, I guess apparently Governor Murphy signed into law something with New Jersey, in New Jersey State, that whatever under the Affordable Care Act, they're trying to keep health, you know, health benefits and, you know, have people go to hospitals in the state of New Jersey. Robin is probably talking about New Jersey's Patient Protection Act, which was introduced in May of 2019. Some critics have pointed out that it makes it harder for a patient to obtain care out of state if clinically appropriate services are available in state. Though I haven't talked with Vanessa's insurers to confirm this is why her hospital visit wasn't covered, it's a pretty good guess. So Vanessa was left with a big bill, and her friend Robin turned her on to GoFundMe. Was it your idea to start the GoFundMe, and, and how did that conversation go? Um, well, I was when, when I first found out, you know, I mean, months ago, you know, about this whole situation and that she was going to have to, you know, have these surgeries and how severe that the process was, um, you know, and that, new, you know, found out that you knew New Jersey, um, that the whole law was changing. That was a few months ago. I had suggested to her doing a GoFundMe. We had done one for another friend of ours several years ago, um, who's now, you know, seven, six or seven years cancer-free. But we had set one up for him, and it just it really did a good job helping to raise money for his family to offset medical expenses, um, you know, while he was out of work and while he was going through therapy. And I suggested to, to Vanessa that maybe we should do the same thing, and, you know, everything can really just help fill the gaps while she's already been out of work for, you know, almost six months and it's probably going to be at least another six months if she can even go back um after so uh i, I mean i think you're a, a great friend for helping organize all this for her, uh but it certainly must be hard i mean uh how does it make you feel to see people with insurance plans have to turn to something like gofundme 
to be able to pick up the slack where insurance doesn't. It's not fair. I mean, it's terrible. We've got people that pay money to insurance policies. They're paying out money. Some people never use it and they're paying money, but then you have people that need it. And at the same time, they can't even utilize the insurance that they have. Her story is not alone. According to GoFundMe, they have over 250,000 medical fundraisers on their site every year. There's a whole section of their website dedicated to tips and tricks to make the most out of medical fundraising. Robin was kind enough to share some of her story with me, and we've put a link to her fundraiser in the episode description if you want to support her. But she left me with a lot of questions. Namely, why are medical services so expensive, and what do you do when you get a big bill? Thank you for calling the Cleveland Clinic. Please hold for the next available operator. Please stay on the line. So I thought I'd start at the beginning. I called the Cleveland Clinic to ask one question. How much does an MRI cost? Oh, well, I was just wondering if you could tell me how much an MRI scan normally costs uh, without insurance. Or if there's somewhere I can find that on the website? No. I heard that one word a lot, and a lot of hold music while I called around, asking different hospitals the same question. I was transferred several times, and I left some voicemails for different departments, but it seems like I couldn't get a straight answer. Maybe I just didn't have the right phone number to call. So I asked good friend of the show, Caitlin Donovan, the Director of Outreach for the National Patient Advocacy Foundation, why this was such a hard question to get an answer to. Well, the United States has arguably the most complicated healthcare system in the world. We also have a problem where our healthcare pricing is unreasonable, it's unpredictable, and it's not transparent. So when you have a situation where increasingly all these different problems are happening because there are major mergers going on and competition is lessening, we have incredibly high costs for drug price for drugs. We have higher, increasingly high costs for basic and more complicated services like surgeries. And we have insurance networks that are getting smaller as insurance tries to cover and control their costs. So patients, unfortunately, are stuck in the middle of what's a, what's a fist fight really between major healthcare systems and insurers. And unfortunately, when you're a patient, if you're caught in the middle of a fight, you often end up getting, you know, hit where it hurts. But surely, once you get a medical bill, after you've had the medical service, like an MRI, you would be able to see an exact cost. Have you ever seen my cousin Vinny? Uh, I have not. Should I? <laughs> uh, well, first off, yes, definitely. But there's a scene where, you know, Joe Pesci and Marissa Tomei go into a diner. And the menu is literally just breakfast, lunch, dinner, <laughs> with a price next to each. Um, and that's kind of what hospital bills remind me of a lot of times. The first time you get a bill, it'll just say, you know, it's just a bill with a number on it. And so you have to actually usually request an itemized bill where it breaks down for you what they're charging you and why. It's always kind of an interesting exercise for me. I always do it because of my own nerd <laughs> nerd reasons and morbid curiosity. Um but it's fascinating. So the question is hard to answer. Even someone who's received a medical bill may not know how much each service they received cost. But what about preemptively finding out about the cost? If I'm in a doctor's office seeking medical treatment, 
who do I ask about the cost of treatment? Well, how about a health policy expert? Once you have insurance and you are in the doctor, you're talking to the doctor, whether it be, um, you know, whether it be something that's going to be a treatment that you're going to have, a surgery you're going to have, uh, can you talk to your doctor about price? Is it acceptable to say, like, what are my options as far as cost? What is it going to cost me? Is that something that... I, it you can raise be... it. You can raise it. I almost assuredly, your doctor will have no idea. Um, doctors typically have no idea how much medications cost, what the cost of a CAT scan is, where a place is to get a cheaper CAT scan of the same quality, et cetera, et cetera. It is one of the problems of the system. Now, there are many, many efforts now in, to try to change that. So that if you, your doctor recommends you get a CAT scan for something, they will also give you a suggestion. You know, here's the place where the CAT scan is higher cost. Um, that is not yet routine, and it's not yet um, uh, standardized. But there are some efforts to um, uh, get that information from the do to the doctor and from the doctor to the patient. There are also some efforts to, you know, if the doctor orders a prescription, to make sure that it's the lowest cost drug for that particular condition, even if the doctor doesn't know it. That's Dr. Ezekiel Emanuel from episode two. And I'm definitely comforted to know that there are efforts to make pricing more transparent, but how can you and I navigate the medical billing system the way it's structured now? After the break, we break it down to what you have to do when you have questions about your bill or find a mistake on it. Finding Health is supported by you, the listeners. The Renee C. Frink Society creates this show for you to get the tools you need to navigate your own health care and to answer questions you have about finding health. But the show isn't free to make. If you want to help us continue to produce this show and get answers, consider making a $25 donation to our organization. Visit ReneeCFrink.org, that's R-E-N-E-E-C. FRINK.org to learn more about how you can support our show and become a part of our family of supporters now. We're back, and as we dive deep into the complex world of medical billing, there's only one obvious question that I haven't asked. Though we, the patients, may not be able to easily figure out what a medical service costs, someone, somewhere, knows. I mean, there's got to be someone who puts a price onto the bill sitting in a room somewhere, right? Back to Caitlin Donovan. You look around, there's billing specialists now, and their job is to kind of up these charges and figure out the most technical ways to bill as much as they can. Aha! So that's the guy in the room where it happens. A billing specialist. So I did a little bit of poking around and I found a job posting for a billing specialist online. As it turns out, there are a lot of companies hiring for this position. Here's what the job description says, and I'm just going to paraphrase a few of the bullet points under job duties. Keys patient charges into computer. Reviews all plans of care for coding accuracy. Follows instructions of the Senior Charge Description Master Coordinator. Whew, so there it is. Put that on a business card. That's the title I've been looking for. 
the Charge Description Master Coordinator. That's who this particular billing specialist would report to. So I can just call those guys when I have questions about my bill. No, as it turns out, it's not that easy. Caitlin explained the process of how your hospital visit gets turned into an itemized bill. Your doctor is taking notes when you go in, and then they hand that clipboard off to somebody, and the billing specialist looks at the clipboard and decides what to charge you for and what the coding is based on the doctor's notes. So, for instance, when I had my daughter, um, she was born in 2015, and that was after the ACA went into effect, which mandated that no insurer, no, you you cannot be charged anything out of pocket for a lactation consultant. Um, long story short, my daughter had tongue tie and <laughs> was having a lot of hard time nursing and damaging me in the process. So I went in to lactation consultant and she figured out that she had tongue tie. We had to go see someone else for that. And she also gave me just like a salve for myself, for my wounds. <laughs> And I ended up getting a bill for $125. Now, $125 in the grand scheme of the atrocities I've seen is not that bad. But still, I'm, I'm unwilling to pay $125 when it's supposed to be free. It turns out that the billing specialist looked at the doctor's notes, saw that I had a cut and I was prescribed a medication for it, and billed it as a medical visit rather than a lactation consultant visit. So how did Caitlin get to this point? When she got the bill and noticed there was something wrong or had questions, who did she call? And what were the steps she took to get there? Let's break it down. first thing I did was call the insurer because they were the ones who had denied the claim. Well, really they hadn't denied it, but they'd only paid a portion and the rest went to me. So I called and said, "Legal, there's a law against this. I'm not supposed to be billed out of pocket. And we went back and forth and finally I said to them, what do I need to have this coded as to make sure that I'm not being billed for it? And they gave me the code. So then I called the hospital billing office and left a message they called me back and they said well we're looking at the notes um and this is what it is and so i had to call the provider the lactation consultant and have her call them and then they changed it to the wrong code again and actually my bill went up this time to 150 dollars <laughs> then i was mad <laughs> called multiple times until they finally changed it. During the course of this, they tried to send my bill to collections, so I had to put something in writing saying that I was um, contesting the claim, and they held off on pursuing it, and I called the office again and asked them to get out of collections, which I was lucky they did do that, but plenty of patients aren't so lucky. Um, And eventually, I finally got a letter from the billing office in writing, because I request everything in writing during every step of this. When I talk to the insurer, when I talk to the billing office, I ask them to email me. So how, I mean, it, when, when, you, when you describe it like this, it sounds kind of hopeless. <laughs> <laughs> it's not hopeless. It's frustrating, though. It's definitely frustrating. Um, but people should know that if you get a big bill in the mail, there's definite steps you can take in order to push back on that bill. Um, And the first thing you should always do, like I said before, 
is make sure that the bill is correct. Um, you have a good 50-50 shot that there's going to be an error in that bill. So ask for an itemized bill, go through it with a fine-tooth comb, make sure everything on it is correct, and there's a chance that you'll see some errors and it will get changed to lower the bill. You want to be able to talk to your insurer and make sure they're covering everything that they're supposed to. Um, and then talk to, um, and then you have really th usually three levels of appeals. You have two internal appeals with your insurer. Um, and we have sample templates on the patientadvocate.org uh, website that you can use to, to during your appeals process because often the last thing someone wants to do is write a letter. <laughs> um, so we provide templates for people uh, and to try and get them to change their mind. And then there's an external appeal. You should also always rope your doctor into helping you with this appeals process because they can usually address a lot of the insurer's concerns, especially if their insurer uses a term called medical necessity, which basically they're saying that the care you received isn't the care that you really needed. Or, um, and then at the last minute, if you know that your insurer, you've exhausted all appeals, you can usually work with your bill, whoever is billing you um, to lower your costs. You can negotiate whatever they're billing you down to a lower sum. You can ask for a payment plan. And a lot of hospitals even have financial aid programs if you ask them. So it's not hopeless. It's frustrating, yes, but not hopeless. Not hopeless. That's what I hope you take away from this episode. Like Vanessa, many people do have to turn to services like GoFundMe to cover their medical bills. But as you're looking at options like an online fundraiser, it's also worth it to reach out to your provider and talk to them. Call the billing office and ask about lowering your bill. Ask about a payment plan, but also ask your insurer to make sure they're covering everything they should be. Don't be afraid to talk to them about money. It really saddens me to see people have to turn to online fundraising sites to pay medical bills, especially if they have insurance. So I hope this episode gives you some tools that you may need to help lower or correct your medical bills, and the knowledge that it's not hopeless. If you're swimming in medical bills, you can check out the National Patient Advocacy Foundation at npaf.org to see if they can help you. They have templates to send to your provider and insurer to advocate on your behalf. You can visit their website as an excellent resource to help you find information in your journey to find healthcare. Finding Healthcare is a production from the Renee C. Frank Society. It was executive produced by me, Brandon Stewart, and this episode was also produced by Mark Reese. Fact-checking and research by Megan Crutchfield, MPH. We're edited and mixed by Benji Block. Thanks to Caitlin Donovan for talking to us today. You can learn more about her organization at npaf.org, and you can learn more about our organization, the Renee C. Frank Society, at r-e-n-e-e-c-frank.org. And you can follow us on Twitter. We're on Twitter at finding underscore podcast. And we'll be tweeting out some helpful links to go along with this episode. And we'd love to hear your thoughts. 